Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. As you can tell, my voice is failing me as we begin the 2021 season of At The Mic, season number two. I'm excited to get it started with you, but I will say over a month ago, I had a bad case of COVID-19 and my voice fell victim to it. It almost entirely disappeared and has yet to return to full strength. But that being said, the show must go on. And thankfully, I recorded several conversations for you before I fell ill. And the only elements around those conversations, such as this intro, uh, are going to be affected by these impaired vocal cords of mine that are still healing. So here we are, the very first episode of the 2021 season. And as always, I'm so grateful that you're making time. And I just ask for your patience as I continue to recover. Um, The great thing about podcasts is that you can listen to them whenever you want. It's always a good time. And it's always a good time for American Pride Roasters Coffee. APR Coffee, the inaugural sponsor of At The Mic. We're so excited to have them on board. And they want you to know Fat Tuesday is coming up on February 16th. It's right around the corner. And did you know that there is a coffee for that? See, King Cake. It's a part of the Epiphany Celebration honoring the night the Magi gave their gifts to Jesus. King cake parties are commonplace along the Gulf Coast from the eve of Epiphany until Mardi Gras. So why not go ahead and order your APR King Cake coffee today and get that taste of a traditional New Orleans treat where cinnamon and sugar combine with the fresh roasted blend of American Pride Roasters coffee. So please head to aprcoffee.com and enjoy the coffee that I drink while I'm editing this podcast. Use offer code ATM, that's ATM for at the mic, and you're going to get 10% off your order. Offer code ATM at aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith an independent podcast production. Well, first up in this new year is someone who many of you are likely familiar with. He's a guy I worked with at The Blaze, and his name is Brandon Morse. Brandon and I, we talked about everything from the amazing way he got started in the world of political pontification. We touched on Monty Python. We talked a little bit about Napster. You remember that? I learned what a beer burrow is. We were all over the place, I'll be honest with you. But I do think you'll enjoy spending time getting to know Brandon Morse, my first guest of season number two here on At The Mic. Brandon, thanks so much for coming up here and making time. I appreciate it, man. Dude, anytime, man. I'm happy to do this. You and I, we have a lot to catch up on. For sure. But I just told you before we turned the mics on, I was like, okay, look, I want to catch up with you. But I also want you to just save it for the podcast. So everybody's going to catch up with you uh, at the same time I am. So how about that? Man, that's killing two birds with one right, stone. There you right go. There. See, it's word economy. Yeah. You and I used to work together at The Blaze. Tell everybody where they can find you now because you're off doing bigger and better things now. Well, yeah, I ended up immediately, and I mean immediately, went to Red State, which I had worked at before I went to The Blaze. And uh, Red State has gone off like a rocket yeah was eric um, erickson no no no, no no it was already after that right so this is after eric erickson uh okay. the era of erickson uh-huh. uh and we were in the middle of the caleb Howe era. Yeah. okay yep there was a big bloodletting mm-hmm. 
and uh, Caleb was one of the casualties. And there was really no managing editor for a while. Eventually, Strife, who had been there for years, took over as managing editor with Jennifer Van Lahr as deputy managing editor. And the website began to just take off. And in, on top of that, they said, hey, Brandon, we want you to run the VIP section, this new VIP section of the website. And I was like, yeah, all right, why not? <laughs> Since then, you know, we've skyrocketed. Like, we keep going up in subscriptions for Red State. Jennifer Van Lahr has been one of the best investigative reporters I have ever seen. Strife has a, uh, a managing style that has really kept this thing going smoothly. And and I, I don't think I've ever been a part of a better website ever. Mm. You know, I've loved Rev State since I've worked there, and, and now I just love it even more. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Have you always wanted to be in the realm that you're in right now? Oh, hell no. No, oh, no, 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 no. No. Oh. No, I, in fact, I always tell people when they ask me, like, no, I'm not supposed to be here. Um, I'm, I, I never once thought, because I, look, as a kid, you know, in school, I never did my homework, you know, I would, I, and now it's funny, because now it's like God has a sense of humor. Now all I do is homework. <laughs> You're making up for lost time. Exactly. But, you know, I wanted to, you know, I went to school for a while and uh, to, to be like a, a graphic artist you know i wanted to make video games i wanted to write video games cool that was what i wanted to do i wanted to be an animator and uh so i was into the art institute of atlanta for you know a year yeah when were you there in atlanta oh man i lived in uh well i lived in georgia from my sophomore year of high school all on up to probably my second year of college okay because i was born and raised in atlanta metro oh atlanta, really cobb county marietta oh that's, yeah. yeah yeah yeah. so what part uh started in woodstock and then oh, uh, so you were just north of me right and then uh eventually went north up to jasper jasper yeah oh Jasper G, baby. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm very familiar. What years were you there then? When, when did I? When <laughs> did I? you remember all When was stuff? I a sophomore yeah. <laughs> in high school? I can't remember now. Well, how old are you now? I'm 36. So, you're going to trust me, the master of Keith math, to yeah. figure this out. So, you're 36. So I can already guarantee you're, you're better at math than I I don't think so. So, 84 you were born? Yep, I was. All right. So, See? You're so, good, then 9404. Okay. So, you were... Uh, Early 2000s then in Atlanta. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well. The early aughts I was there. Yeah. I, I uh, ended up dropping out of college and went to uh, Galveston so where I lived. That's interesting because you were born in Austin. Right. But you tell people you're from Galveston. Yeah. Where did you grow up then? Well, I mean, that's just, that's such a weird question. <laughs> it's I, not it's, a weird it's question. It's not a weird question. It, have a weird it has answer. a weird answer. Right, right. So, right. I, I mean, I, yeah, I spent a lot of time in Austin. You know, I, I lived in Austin until I was uh, about, I think I was in fifth grade when I finally moved to Pflugerville up north. Spent time there up until my freshman year of high school. Okay. Moved to Woodstock right after that for my sophomore year. And then left Georgia at around like my second year of college. So okay. I, I think I was like 20. I got you. Um, moved to Galveston and where I lived probably more time. I've spent more time in Galveston than yeah. anything. Moved back to Georgia. Moved to Colorado. Moved, no, no, I'm sorry. Moved back to Galveston, then moved to Colorado. Mm-hmm. <laughs> moved back to Galveston again. Wow, that's a lot of And moving. then moved to, oh yeah, I was a nomad. I was I a nomad. See. Yeah. Because I'm kind of the opposite, you know, born and raised in... Georgia and now live in Texas, you yeah. know, so, but you kind of did the other thing, but I'm glad right. you're back here now. Thanks. What, is Pflugerville famous for anything? I feel like I've it's, heard that It's name. famous for having a P 
bef- in the okay, beginning of its it? name. That's that's, pretty, it? that's pretty much it. All right, all right. It has a pretty badass Dairy Queen too. I really? Guess. Oh man, yeah. Wait a minute. Nobody has gotten on this podcast, and all the people I've talked to and bragged about a town's Dairy Queen. Tell me why. Oh, d- dude, like the friend, the service there. Well, this is back when I lived there. All yeah. right, they knew you the moment you walked in and what you wanted. It's like Cheers, but ice cream. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, Brandon. You know, <laughs> afternoon, everybody. And they knew exactly <laughs> the amount of candy to add into your Blizzard. You know, oh. which is and super important. Yeah, super important. All right, I, I don't care. I'm sorry. It's too many Dairy Queens. You go in there and it's like the candy to ice cream ratio is either way too much or way too little right you know like it'll be on the top and then it's just nothing but soft serve at the bottom which look you're still getting soft serve but i see you it's a ratio the Reese's thing. peanut butter cup it's a man ratio thing. exactly yeah you know my wife uh, in high school she worked at a dairy queen and we can't enter a dairy queen establishment mm-hmm. without her talking about how great she is at making a blizzard right right which is worth bragging about it is <laughs> okay well um there should be some sort of competition. I think uh, so. Like a blizzard off. There really should be. At uh, least here in Texas. Let's work on that. Let's yeah. work on that. Yeah, and, and that's the thing about Texas. We're so big here, mm-hmm. and there's so many Dairy Queens, that they actually have commercials for just people in Texas. That's what I like about Texas! Yeah, that's yeah. right. And there's one county in Metro Dallas-Fort Worth, though, that they, they just closed them all down. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was before the COVID stuff. So, yep. I, I don't know, but I love Dairy Queen. Oh, who yeah. doesn't? But, I mean, who doesn't? Yeah, speaking of, though, the COVID era that mm. we're in now, oof, yeah, that's really affected your life and your plans. Why don't you tell us what you had planned in April of 2020 and what happened? So I was supposed to get married. Huh. Yeah, I had we had this, we planned this amazing wedding. It was supposed to take place at the House of Dirt. You know, not mm. a huge, not a huge venue, not a lot of people to be there. But you know, we were cool with that. I liked the idea of like a more family centric wedding. In fact, that's the. I mean, I I don't even, I didn't even want the show. I just wanted to say some vows with my family in attendance. Right. Something right. simple. Right. Okay. Th- yeah. That's it. But you know, um, it's amazing to me how fast things get away from you when you're planning a wedding and how you can easily go from like $2,000 to 30. I know, you know, and, and like, I swear, dude, you said it completely, completely. Well, a little bit off topic here. I think the wedding industry is a scam. You know, you, you attach the word wedding to anything and they up it about three grand. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. So we had, we had this, but regardless, you know, we had this really neat venue. It was really cozy, kind of like boho a little bit. I, I, I kind of dug it, you know, uh, our family was going to be there. We were going to have karaoke, you know, like, oh, because I love karaoke. Yeah, it's one man. one of my favorite things. Sure. And then uh, we were also going to have a beer bro. You ever heard of that? No, but this sounds a, like my kind of wedding. It's a donkey that carries beer around in satchels, and then you can take the beer from the donkey. I want my picture with a what is it a beer beer bro beer that's bro. that's dude bro. I I wasn't I was not allowing myself a lot of like you know oh. things for my, for myself in this wedding you sure. know I wanted to make it all about her and like what she wanted that's the one thing that's the one thing I wanted seriously like if there was like a checklist put in front of you and you probably scan it you know when you go to the doctor's office they're like do you have any of these symptoms and you just draw a line you're like yeah, exactly. no no negative okay so this one i can just imagine you had a sheet probably put in front of you with little squares next to all these options you're mm-hmm. just like no and then you wait whoa 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 beer bur- <laughs> wait we're not waiting hey, whoa, 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 whoa. we're doing this one a donkey that carries around beer yeah 
how do I, I don't think you can say no to that. Right. That would definitely be like, if you only could pick one thing to have at the wedding right that you had your fingerprints on right i could see why you land on it. the beer it's a beer burrow right because right? the spanish word for donkey right it's surprisingly cheap oh three hundred dollars hold on t- stop for a second okay let's just pretend we're not talking about a wedding okay all right and i'm just hanging out in my backyard right just i'm literally reading a nerdy book that i enjoy right and i'm right, right. I, well, let's just say I don't have beer with me at this moment, right? Correct. Because the beer burrow hasn't arrived yet. Right. Could I just rent out somebody to drop off the beer burrow and just hang out in my backyard? Like, yo, beer burrow, come here. Exactly. Hey, exactly. He comes, over, yeah. he comes over there. You get your beer and is, he just goes and meanders off. He eats some grass. Is, is like Juan Valdez walking around with him, leading him around? Or? I don't, you know what? I, I think so. I think he does have like a handler that keeps it. Because no one wants an out of control beer burrow. Yeah, that's right. Because right, you, know, you didn't happens? get to experience it yet. Exactly. This is what sucks. Exactly. I'll never know. What? What do you mean you'll never know? Well, I don't know if I'm going to get the beer burrow chance. So you haven't even gotten married yet. No. We're probably going to end up eloping at this point. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, good luck. Well, thank you. Yeah. My wife's a pastor, by the way. If, if I know do. that. Okay. Yeah. Just I, I know, know that. But you're only allowed to hire her for this wedding mm-hmm. if the beer burrow is still going to be there. That's like a like a stipulation. Because then I'm going to tag along. Right. Like, no, I'm her ride. <laughs> anyway, I want to see this. I want to see this donkey in action, Dude, man. We, I mean, look, we're, we, we still plan on having a party at some point. Yeah. And, and he might make it. So you have five siblings total, right? right? Yep, okay. Correct. And how does that work out? Like, where do you fall on the spectrum there? Uh, that wasn't an autism question. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I just want like like where do you fall? I mean, my the- brother's probably more autistic than I am. <laughs> okay. No, no, uh, no. I'm I'm the oldest of five, or out of six uh, total. You know, uh, including me. And uh, you know, my mom, she's she remarried and had mm-hmm. two kids. My dad remarried and had three. Two. He only had three though because you know two ended up being twins. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, it's it's really an interesting dynamic between the two families. My mother's side of the family is super, super, super into racing. Okay. And she married Jake Wallace, who is a descendant of William Wallace. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who Bigfoot Wallace is a descendant of William Wallace. You know, so these people are huge, right? Uh-huh. You know, they, they, they walk around and like they can pick up steel beams with one hand. My so both my brother Did and you, my sister. Yeah. Of that side of the family are like 80,000 times stronger than I am. I was going to say, you didn't get that gene. No, I did not. No. If you look at them compared to me, you're like, how the... (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, but my brother, he ended up... They're so into racing, though. They... they, My brother ended up being a pit crew member, an over-the-wall pit crew member for Roush Racing at NASCAR. Yeah. My sister, she races trucks, uh, and she's like an anesthesiologist. Is she locally? No, 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 this is in North Carolina. Oh, so, oh North Carolina. Yeah, they okay. all moved out to North Carolina because if you're a NASCAR person, that's where you go, uh-huh. right? That's kind of like their Hollywood. Yeah. yeah, and so they're in North Carolina. Your family's in North Carolina. My mother's is. My uh, The rest of my family's in Galveston. Okay. Uh, from my dad's side where right. they live. I'll tell you, we lived in Houston uh, yeah. 20 years ago. And Galveston is a godsend if you live in Houston, if you ask me, because it was a great place to escape to. We love getting down there. Just the town is great, uh, mm-hmm. getting down to the ocean and stuff. So we're big fans of Galveston. Yeah. Uh, there's a fudge factory down oh, yeah. there that uh, I can't think of what it's yeah, called. Yeah, Rocky Mountain Fudge yes, Factory. Yes, yes. With the bear out front. Yes. Yep, yep. Oh, they have the goodness. best uh, caramel apples okay. you'll ever come across. 
I love them so much. Yeah. But what's also cool about like I don't know what when the last time you were there, they've got like a beef jerky shop that has like all different kinds of beef jerky oh, no. there. They've still got La King's that big candy shop where uh-huh. they hand spin milkshakes and make like yeah. uh, uh what was it taffy like right there. Uh-huh. You know? Like their strand area in Galveston yeah. is just magical. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. It's uh the tiger butter is what I go for mm. at that Rocky Mountain place. Yes. So how often do you get to go back down to Galveston? Not as often as I'd like. Mm-hmm. It, it honestly is one of those things you uh I, like my my life has become so busy in, in Dallas, you know, and and it's a 4-hour drive. It's actually yeah. not that bad for me. Like I I love road trips. I love getting on the road and going. Mm-hmm. But now with like a fiance and dogs and all that stuff <laughs> and and the fact that, you know, I work non-freaking stop. Um it it kind of just gets difficult to go down there, which is sad because man, you want to you want a good reset, go home. You know, go back to the place where you were, you were from, like mm-hmm. where the people, you know, and, and, and it doesn't hurt when you're from an island, you know, ah, and you yes. get there and, and, you know, <laughs> the, you, you go down the street and there's the ocean right there. You know, there's not a mar, a margarita is not that hard to find, you know, <laughs> or a pina colada if you want one, you right. know, just the, the, and then your family's there and it's just like a nice relaxing time. That's so you, you just cross the causeway, that big bridge that leads there that mm-hmm. goes over the water and leads into Galveston and you just feel your blood pressure decrease. Yeah. You that's know? a good, that's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 Especially, and I don't want to get hung up on my dislike for Houston, <laughs> but I'm, you're absolutely right. As far as if you can, if you can deal with the traffic on 45 and break through to the other side to Galveston, oh yeah, then uh, it's a happy place for sure. Oh yeah, it's definitely. Uh, Dude, yeah. 45 can be a nightmare, but mm-hmm. you, you got yeah, hit it at the right time. Yeah, which is can, what 2 a.m. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, kids. What is 1:30 a.m.? I know we want to beat traffic. <laughs> That's life in Houston, right there. So you are engrossed in politics. For a living. Right. You wanted to design video games. Right. So how did you end up writing? What what was your first avenue into that realm that you're in now? Right. So I just kind of stumbled into it. Like I didn't mean to get there. It starts in Galveston and I was a security guard. Okay. I worked as a security guard. We, uh, my family owned a company and I was like a manager there. What year are we talking about? This was back in 2010. Okay. Um, Obama was uh, two years into his presidency. Actually, you know what? No, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. This is about 2008 or nine when he was first elected. I was in a guard shack in like a little shack by the sea, Mm. you know, and I would let rich people into their gated community. (laughs) Nice. That was my entire job. And I would sit in this box and you do not like a man. The sitting in a box by yourself for hours on end can really screw with you. You know, like you go through weird emotional swings, you know, you're like, oh, I'm really happy. Woo. And then like, oh, my God, I'm so depressed. You, <laughs> this, know, you have nothing but your thoughts. What what time of day was the shift? This this was uh from about 7 a.m. to about six. OK, so it was like, a yeah, it At was at least a there was daylight. Shift. Right. There was daylight. But you know, also what really sucked is like it was only fun in like fall and winter. Because during the summer, the way they designed the guard shack, the air conditioner in there hit the ceiling and and it was horribly designed. Oh. So I got nothing. And I'm sitting here in this polyester uniform all day long, no. sweating. I would get home and you don't take this polyester uniform off. You you peel it off. Oh. It was the worst. It would smell so bad. But no. But anyway, the the. <laughs> 
you would sit there with nothing to do, right? Okay. Nothing. So you would try to find things. You would buy box sets of like various shows that you might like. Like I loved Scrubs <laughs> uh-huh. or South Park yeah. or, you know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, whatever I could get. <laughs> um, and when, when you start started getting bored of shows, you know, you would read books or if you got tired of reading books, you would do puzzles. But anyway, I started getting into uh, Twitter around that time. Mm. And around also that time, I was reading books and watching documentaries about uh, stuff like North Korea, Nazi Germany. Like I got into the history big time, but something fascinated me about dictatorships mm-hmm. and and this mentality that surrounded them. And as I'm listening to Obama speak from time to time as he was running, that sounds exactly like something I heard, you know, in one of these books that I read. That's really crazy to me. <laughs> And I started looking up his socialistic attitudes towards stuff and it started to freak me out. And what I would do is in order to kind of appease my brain and make me feel more at ease, I would start writing uh, on my face. Remember, like Facebook had notes that you. Can oh, make? yeah. So I would write Facebook notes and uh, and I would publish them to my follower, the people who followed me and. You know, and, and, and I would like do these little things on Twitter. And I had like no followers at the time. <laughs> None. And. Next thing I know, Which like by, by the way, by the way, let's get a plug in real quick. Uh-huh. Where can people find you on on Twitter, for at, example? At the Brandon Morse. At the Brandon yeah. Morse. Okay. Yeah. M O R S E. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, little did I know is that funny enough, people were actually reading my Facebook notes and and they were actually kind of enjoying them. Uh, and I didn't even know to look, but uh, back then, you know, you you clicked your mentions and stuff. It didn't really tell you when you were getting mentions mm. back in back then. Okay. On Twitter. But suddenly I clicked there and people were like responding to the things that I would type. And I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. <laughs> um, and, and I would start interacting with them. And so some you know conservative website at one point in time reached out to me and they were like, hey, do you want to write for us? And I was like, yeah, why not? So, you know, I would write these articles that I would usually be writing Facebook notes for. And I noticed that maybe it's my personality, but I don't like being pushed back on. I don't like being like told like, hey, what you just wrote, I don't like it. Can you restructure it? Mm. I hate it. It's like, no, I wrote that. And that's how I, I want to come off. All right. And my philosophy was, look, if you want me to write for you, then you want me to write. You don't want me to be another brick in the wall. All right. Um, so anyway, I continued down this kind of path where I would I would write for various little websites here and there. I got invited to write at futurevoicesofamerica.com. Oh, by cool. Yeah. By some uh, kids who were starting up their own thing and. But the same thing always followed me around. I just I, I noticed that I did not like being edited and by and by edited. I don't mean like, you know, go ahead and correct my grammar and stuff. Or if I have misplaced a punctuation point somewhere, fix it. But don't tell me what I have to say and how I can say it. Change my ideas. I don't like that. Yeah, like that. That really turns me off. Seems reasonable. Yeah. And eventually it got to the point where I was writing for every and I got there. Because at that point in time, I had been writing about politics for a few years. I'd started my own website. We, I started MisfitPolitics.com or .co, I should say, because I got tired of being told what to do. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do my own thing. And at that point, I thought, you know, we're so stuffy, the conservative movement. We're so stuffy. We need to learn to laugh. We need to learn to mock. You know, like it wouldn't hurt for us to adopt some of the Alinskyite stuff that the left does to us. <laughs> All right. It wouldn't hurt. 
Yeah, like he was. Yeah, he was a bad guy. He thinks Satan like his. But look, some of the stuff that he understands wasn't <laughs> yeah. necessarily about leftism or rightism. It was about human psychology, and we could probably stand to learn some of it. So we created uh, me and a few of the, my friends that we got. We got together. We created MisfitPolitics.co, and we ended up releasing our first video called Attack Watch, and Attack Watch, which was created by Ezra Doulis made fun of the website that the Obama administration had created called Attack Watch, where basically if anybody said anything bad about Obama, you were supposed to... It was like a tip line. Right. Mm-hmm. You you tell them, and then they will address it. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to create Attack Watch, and Attack Watch blew up. It went viral. It was featured on Fox News. Michelle Malkin couldn't stop talking about it. <laughs> so, uh, you know... After a few years of that, however, it was all voluntary work. You know, it was it was never paid. I, I never made a dime off of it. I decided like, hey, you know, I should probably stop playing around with this thing. And you know, I have no business mind. I'm a creative. And so I, I decided to close it down. And around that time, I started saying, all right, you know, what? maybe it's time. You know, politics isn't making me happy. I need to get out and get back to what I love, which is, you know, uh, cultural stuff, video games, movies, that kind of thing. And you would still at this point were entertaining the thought of designing video games or had you moved? No, at this point in time, I knew that I was a writer. Okay. And that's, and that, you know, I have more of that under my belt than, and you know, I, I didn't ever finished at art Institute of Atlanta. I didn't have a degree. Do you ever get to use your art talents in anything? Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I do now. So I, I decided that I wanted to try out to uh, work at the escapist and around this time, Gamergate was happening. I don't know if many people remember Gamergate, but it was like one of the biggest cultural wars we'd ever seen in America. And during Gamergate, I had made friends with Alexander McCreese, who was at the time the managing editor of The Escapist, one of the most popular cultural websites in America. And after talking to him for a little while, I asked him, hey, I would love to write a column for you guys. Mm. And he said, absolutely. And so he announced on Twitter, hey, Brandon Morse is joining us. And it was one of the greatest days in my life. I was so happy. I was like, man, finally, you know, I can I can get out of politics. I was never supposed to be here in the first place. Now I'm getting to what I want. Well, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> God, God did not agree with me. He said, no, 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 you're, you're a political writer. Uh-oh. So once he announced on Twitter that that happened, the social justice left combed through every little bit of my writing, any videos that I made, any podcasts, everything. And they they could only settle on one thing. And it was something that I said about the transgender community where I said, hey, if you want to be transgender, that's fine. But do not expect everyone else to pretend along with you. Exactly. Not that in, <laughs> what? not that bad. Okay, right. It was yeah. it's basically me saying, hey, you live your life and uh, let other people live theirs. Yeah. OK. And that was not OK to say. And mm-hmm. they launched this campaign. Where they effectively contacted McCreese nonstop. They hounded his Twitter. They hounded uh, the owner, the people who owned the the company that owned the Escapist at the time, which was Defy Media. Contacted the, the CEO and all this stuff, and and made all these threats. We're never going to read this again. You had people at the Escapist quitting because, yeah, oh yeah, it was bad. Eventually, oh, come on. Eventually, Defy contacted Alexander McCreese and said, "Hey." Uh, this guy can't write for you. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta like ditch him. And what year was this? This was in uh, 2016, mm-hmm. 2015, no, 2015. Okay. And Alexander said, I don't have a choice, man. I'm so sorry. Like, you know, we have to, 
we have to make sure that you can't write at the escapist. But what we can do is send you to our sister site. And it's a political site. What is it? He's like every Joe. You can you can write at everyjoe.com and and you can have a column there. I was like, fine. (laughs) All right. So I wrote there for a while. The good thing is is I got some really good political writing under my belt there, you know, and and it's like some real, real writing that got noticed. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't hurt that the Gamergate crowd still followed me and shared my stuff around. And, you know, it, it just kind of fell into place and eventually got to a point where every Joe, I, I, it just wasn't keeping up with me. You know, there wasn't a lot there and, gotcha. and they were losing money because it wasn't exactly like the best run website. Um, I asked Caleb Howe at the time or Leon Wolf, I'm sorry, Leon Wolf, who was running Red State at the time. And I, I met him at a CPAC. You know, I did a lot of networking. I did a lot of these things. Asked him at the time, do you guys have an opening? And the moment that Leon, I asked Leon, Caleb Howe learned, who I'm friends with, learned that I was asking. And he still, he told Leon, look, we've got a stack of people here, but you, you hire him. Mm-hmm. Hire him. And he did. And I became number one at the website pretty quickly and stayed number one up until I left for the blaze. And that's that's where you met me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that was a long winded story. But no, that's a a lot. I mean, everything's connected. Everything's tied together. Yeah. So you were at the blaze Mm -hmm. and tell everybody what it is that you're doing today. Right. Where they can find you and all of your writing. Right. So, uh, you know, I went to the blaze because Leon wanted me to follow him there. And Mm -hmm. I did did not exactly have the best time. At yeah. the blaze, uh, mainly because of the problem that I had with all the other websites. You know, I wanted I wanted to be able to write as Brandon Morse, but I wasn't able to write as Brandon Morse there. You know, and it was just very annoying. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry to hear that. Yeah, you know, it, it happens. But, you know, they to the blazes credit, they allowed me to create my own video series and stuff. That's not racist and that's not sexist, which, you know. <laughs> Because I like to stir the pot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Dana, uh, you know, she had me on her show constantly as a guest, as she always had. You know, Dana, Dana Lash and I are, are pretty tight and I'm, I'm super, super grateful to have her there. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually the great bloodletting happened. That's what I call it. Yeah. But in any case, I immediately went to Red State. The VIP thing happened. You know, we grew and grew and grew. And now I create videos for Red State. Uh, I'm the head of VIP there. And, you know, I write prolifically uh, and, you know, now on top of that, you know, we've become so successful and, and you know, we, all this great stuff. It's just up and up and up for us right now. And, and I thank God for that, too. You know, it's it's been a blessing. So and, and you're happy here in Dallas. Then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. What you do, you could do from anywhere. Oh, right? for sure. Yeah. No, so, I, I work from home. That's great. You know, and, that's and really that great. has been also a blessing in and of itself. You've had other jobs in your life. Uh, you sold cameras. What what kind of cameras were you selling? So I worked at Wolf Camera when I was. Oh, Wolf Camera. Yeah. yeah the yeah. mall and everything. Oh, yeah. Dude. <laughs> yeah. I worked in the mall and then like, you know, independent stores. This is back when I was in Woodstock. Oh, oh, yeah. so you were at Town Center Mall. Yes, I was. Boom. Dude, you know what's up, man. Of course, I told you. I was born and raised in Cobb County. Yeah, I worked at the, uh, I worked at the Wolf Camera. I was hired on <laughs> as a, uh, I was hired on as a seasonal hire, and they were like, hey, we like you. You want to stay? I was like, man, why not? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was hired as a seasonal hire for Radio Shack, and I was let go on December 31st, but oh. I digress. I, I have a habit of getting hired for <laughs> seasonal work and then being asked to stay. I'm not bragging on myself, uh, but, you know, I'm yeah. just saying. No, the no, same no. thing happened at GameStop. I'm just 
just I'm just saying. No, my egregious sin uh, against the company, and I'm sure people have heard this before, so I'll make it quick. Uh-huh. But I just refuse to ask people for their phone numbers when they try to buy a battery at Radio Shack. Yeah, I hate and that. so I would just tab, 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 tab. Thank you so much. Anyway, so I got pulled aside on December 31st, and I was told, "Look, you were hired as seasonal. We're going to keep everybody, but two, you're one of the ones we're letting go." And I said, <laughs> "Okay, cool." And it's because you falsified company records. I'm sorry, what? Wow. Falsified company records? Yeah, there's just a bunch of zeros on all the uh, customers that you've checked out at the register. (laughs) All right there. Well, you know what? They're closed. So who's who's got the last laugh, Keith? That's right. That's right. Uh, Tell me about being a deckhand on a boat. What what was that all about? That was like a week-long venture for me. Like, I, I was... I was in need of a job because I had just moved back to Galveston and mm. I had nothing. You uh-huh. know? They're like, why don't you go work at the Walmart or do something? I was like, I don't want to work at a Walmart. I, I want to do something like that really makes me think that, you know, there's either a, a future or B is an adventure. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so we had a buddy in Galveston at the time who ran a crew boat company, mm. you know, so their whole entire job was to take stuff from land and deliver it out to like rigs or right. you know, cruise ships and stuff like that. And so for a week I learned how to be a deckhand, you know, and, and it was, it was, it was crazy. Let's uh-huh. say that, you know, hanging out with sailors is <laughs> interesting. When I think deckhand, I just think cleaning up messes Yep, and That's like part of it. mopping and oh, yeah. just, that's part of it, yeah. And, and you did it for a week? Yeah, I did, I did it for about one week, and then I was like, you know, I don't know if this is for me. So I, I kind of... for me. Right, so I dropped out okay. and, uh, you know, ended up on this long, crazy journey mm-hmm. with, you know, we ended up becoming a security agency and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing if you ever take just a moment... Perhaps you're sitting in the backyard waiting for the beer burrow to come back around <laughs> and you just think, wow, I, I my life has meandered so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've never been able to sit still. Yeah. You know, I've always wanted this is the first time in a long time that I've really settled down. But, you know, I, I would I take a lot of this back. I don't think so, man. Mm-hmm. I love I love living with little. You know, mm. it, it it really puts your brain in perspective. You know, like I was a. You know, in Colorado, I I was a uh, political tracker. You know, it was my. What enti- does that mean? It, it, I it was my job to take a camera down to uh, legislative hearings or you know activist group meetings if I was allowed in and film it, mm. and then I would report on it for and yeah. And, and it was, I lived when I was in Colorado. I lived right behind the Capitol in Denver in this in this apartment. What year? So I think it was two thousand and fourteen. Okay. Yeah, so you always end up back in Texas. Yes, always do. <laughs> but yeah, that Colorado apartment was like literally a concrete box, man. It was an efficiency. Like I had nothing. I had a bed and a, I didn't even have a nightstand. I didn't have like a thing, like an entertainment center for my TV. It was it was literally on the floor. Uh, I, I had just learned to start cooking for myself at that point in time. Like living with little really puts things in perspective. And and there's there are times that, you know, if I wasn't with my fiance. If, if God forbid anything happened to her and I had to go back to being single, that's probably how I would live. So when did you meet her? Uh, I moved here. And where? 2017. Oh, uh, wow. And I lived, you know, I moved here and um, I got on Bumble as one does <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. And she was the first person that I swiped right on. Huh. The first person who responded. Wow. The first person I went on a date on and yep. the last person. I, Look I, at that. Yeah. 
That's and, great. Yeah. That really dampens the blow of hearing, I got on Bumble. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then you finish it up with all that, and you're like, oh, okay, well, happy story. Okay, we're good. <laughs> no, that's cool. No, yeah. And what does she do? Is she into politics, too? Or? No. <laughs> no, she is not. In fact, she she and I actually, what makes... What makes us work is the fact that both of us like a challenge. Oh. So she is not necessarily full lefty, <laughs> but she has some lefty stuff going on. Okay. Uh, the first time she ever voted was for Hillary Clinton. Uh-huh. <laughs> but she how, is... How are those conversations? Uh... You know what? At first, they were real tense because uh, <laughs> I am a very opinionated person and I will tell you why you're wrong and I'm not letting... I'm like a dog. Like I, I, if I sink my teeth into it, I ain't letting go. That's fun. Uh, but no, it, it, you know what, over time, you know, we've started to see each other's points of view mm-hmm. and you know, we've, we've both mellowed out and it's, it's good. I think it's healthy to nice. be honest with you, that you have someone there who challenges you and whom you can teach in, in response, mm. you know, and, and, and she has changed. I have changed. So we're, 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 we're both pretty now. I'm still don't get me wrong. I'm still a conservative and I'm not letting that go. I I'm a conservative you. libertarian, but you know. Yeah. It's it's good to see the other side and know it. So the two of you have dogs. Did y'all adopt them together, or did you bring them into the relationship separately, or what? You have two uh, dogs. Lilo, uh, the long-haired chihuahua, is hers. She's had her. That, that is a that is a twelve-year-old dog huh. who looks like a puppy, perpetually. <laughs> um, but she had Lilo for years and years and years and years and years and brought that into the relationship. It was funny. You know, she was really an open book, but the one thing that she would not introduce me to for a long time was Lilo. She wanted to make sure that I was trustworthy before she brought Lilo into the relationship. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, now, is because Chihuahuas, I have a Chihuahua Beagle mix that we love. Oh, that's okay. cute. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, for the most part, she's got the Beagle personality. Oh, really? But if someone comes around that she doesn't care for, then the Chihuahua oh, yeah. in her comes out. She'll let you know. Was your fiance's, uh, and what is her name? Caitlin. Caitlin. Okay, so was Caitlin's hesitance to introduce you, it was because Lilo has attitude issues with strangers? Or? No, no, oh, not oh, okay, even. Okay. I mean, like, she, she'll she So it had nothing you. to do with Lilo. It had everything right. to do with you. Right, exactly. Was I the trustworthy party <laughs> yeah, okay, here? You know, okay. am, am I trustworthy enough to take care of this dog? You know? Uh-huh. And so it was funny that, you know, it took her a while to do it, but you know what? It just shows you how much that she loves that dog mm-hmm. and how important things are to her that I really see. matter. So okay. I was, it was charming to me, really. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about, tell us the name of your golden retriever. Remington Six Guns. How'd you get that name? Because I am obsessed with the uh, Civil War era Remington uh, revolvers. Okay. You, if you've seen them before, if you've seen like, um, Let's see. Did you see the the gunslinger, like the Dark Tower with no. Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba, which is supposed to be Stephen King's? Uh, it's uh, from that Stephen King novel. And, and I really loved these novels. OK, but, you know, now that I'm trying to talk to you about it, I can't think of it. But in any case, <laughs> because that always happens to me. Yeah. Um, like the two guns that he uses, the gunslinger, the two that he uses are those guns okay. in particular. And so I became obsessed with them. I want them to my, for myself. They're six hundred dollars right now. Hmm. If you want to buy them online, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, I love the beauty, the design, and whenever we adopted the dog, we were trying to go through names, and and that one popped up in my head. What about Remington? And she was like, "Oh, I love it so much." I didn't tell her it was because of Remington. Six oh no! <laughs> you tell her six months later. Yeah, exactly. I kind of popped that out later. I was like, "Yep, yeah, oh, Remington six guns. I named him after this gun right here." <laughs> so, wait, wait, wait. When you're at the dog park or something, you're trying to get his attention. 
You don't yell like, yo, Remington six guns. Come on. You just yeah. sell Remington. Remy. Okay. Remy. We call him Remy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So let's let's talk about music. Yes, please. You enjoy uh, the Midnight? Yes. What, what is the Midnight? It is a retro sounding synthwave band hmm. that though you are pretty sure that you've heard their music in a 1980s movie somewhere that you can't you can't place. <laughs> I guarantee you it was only written recently okay. and it was made recently and it is, it has just enough nostalgia factor to make you feel good, but enough newness to make you feel like this needs to be played on the radio today. So it's original in and of itself. It's amazing. Is it just instrumental or? Nope. Nope. Oh, okay. No. They've got a singer and everything. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Tyler Lyle is the, uh, okay. the, the singer songwriter for the midnight. And honestly, you whenever you leave or whoever listens to this podcast once it's done <laughs> yeah go to spotify look up the midnight listen to songs like los angeles oh, okay. or jason or you know listen to songs like america too okay and i'm writing and, all this down you know oh yeah i yeah. love new music dude yes uh listen to all that and then just like sit back and just like enjoy it like feel okay. it like honestly i i can't when i i remember when i first discovered them it was a rainy night and I was sitting in my office and I have like this computer that glows all sorts of neon, you know, mm-hmm. and I just remember just like sitting in there listening to the rain, listening to this music and just like being transported. And it was as corny as all of this sounds. Just trust me, you know, I will. OK, I'm going to check that out. And For- I also want to check out Lord Huron. Yes. But who's what, what my should other I, favorite? Give band. me three songs from Lord Huron. To check so out. Uh, my three favorite songs from Lord Huron um, are Meet Me in the Woods. Okay. Frozen Pines and um, uh, gosh, it's so crazy to you name pick one. Yeah, I know. I got to because <laughs> I can just feel like, well, I also Secret of Life okay, is so one of my favorites. Yeah. OK, so what kind of music is that? I, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it's so hard to it's explain. Just, okay, it's we'll definitely it like indie rock. OK, you know, oh, that um, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. It's indie rock. It, it brings it a little rockabilly sometimes. Uh, a little bit of instrumental, just kind of like it's it's all over the place, mm-hmm. but it's so original. And it too, will, it, it like it literally is meant to take you on a journey because the guy who writes it, um, he he's telling you a story with every album, you know. And so it's just it's it's amazing. Now, these are the Midnight and Lord Huron couldn't be more different, but I love both of these bands. That's good. And I love the other answer under the music question that I've not received uh, on the email that I send out, uh, Gregory Allen Isakoff. Mm. Just a great artist. Yes. And his album, That See the Gambler. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I just... When I saw your answer here, I thought, first of all, that's awesome that yeah. somebody else put him on there. But that album, that that's great. In your face music... That's great background music. Yep. That's any setting whatsoever. Oh, yep. That album works. Yep. I've I've used it working in the yard. I've used it reading. I've just it's just Oh yeah. Anyway, so I, I came in on on Evening Machines. Okay. His album Evening Machines. Yep. And and I immediately like it was it was like fate. We I, I heard them for the first time because I was introduced to it by a buddy named Michael Deppish. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with him immediately. And literally that weekend he was coming to Dallas. Oh, how fortuitous dude i was like <laughs> freaking out i was like oh my god we gotta go my, my fiance's like I don't even know this <laughs> we get there and and i'm seriously just like i'm oh it's just so good it was a great it was, it was a great, so, concert, it was a great huh? concert yeah like this guy is so talented 
Yeah. I'm you know? just I'm I'm counting here. Yeah, it's only eleven tracks. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah, I don't like it when bands give us like ten. I want fourteen. Yes. I want a minimum of yes. fourteen tracks on an album. Yeah. Which kids are listening, what's an album? You know, <laughs> and and just stream the next CD, you know, stream the next uh I guess it would be called an album, right? But anyhow, when you would buy a CD, remember we'd buy it'd been 18, 20 bucks at Best Buy. Oh, yeah, and those big, thick, like, yeah, the cases oh, there. Oh, yeah, this, the, the security They things. looked like DVD cases at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Remember the little lock at the cashier? They'd have to unlock oh, it yeah. from the plastic <laughs> before you could leave the store with it. Yep. But... You'd always be disappointed if it didn't have at least 14 tracks on it. Exactly. And at least me. But, but. Billy Billy Corgan, uh, formerly Smashing Pumpkins, mm-hmm. he, he kind of called it a long time ago. What did he say? He basically said that, like, look, the, the age of the album, and this, I think, was back in 2005, 6, like, like early, before, like, Apple iTunes became super big. Uh-huh. He said, I, he's like, the age of the album is over. Wow. Because everything's going to come down to being singles now. Like you don't have to release an album. You just create one good song, release it on the internet, and you make buku bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true. Yeah, you know, he was right. Yeah. Wonder where the kid who started Napster is today. Oh man, where is? Yeah, it's a Should good I question. Google that right. Do now? it, man. Okay. Let's find out. All right. So you tell everyone who you would like to go back and see. Uh, you know, meet in history. Your answer being George Washington. Why is that? George Washington is, I relate to him a lot. Um, and not because I, you know, he, he was called the best among men and stuff like that. I don't, that's not why I relate to him. I relate to him because he's a loser. Yeah. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I relate to him because he's a loser. He is. He is a loser. He, he, he <laughs> okay. hardly won any military engagements that he was a part of. Okay. He was rejected from the British army. Okay. okay. He, he's for all intents and purposes he's he's kind of he was kind of a tryhard okay but you know what he never gave up and because of that he ended up founding an entire country you know mm-hmm. he he was well respected by his men his friends loved him because he was a stand up guy and i try to you know uh, it, he's just proof that even if you are a loser <laughs> if you try and try and try again yeah you will succeed at some point in time. And who knows how big you can succeed if you just keep trying. Yeah. And I appreciate that about him. He never gave up. And there's something else there that I'm sure you are well aware of. I mean, he's was such a mama's boy. Yeah. And, oh, I am too. Yeah. And that, you know, he, he didn't get on the boat to join the British Navy because he didn't want to disappoint his mom and his mm-hmm. mom didn't want him to leave and all that stuff. But you're right. By making that choice, mm-hmm. he stayed back and... One thing led to another, and he ended up, uh, yeah. you know, being the father of the greatest country to ever exist. Exactly. Um, okay, so I I've never heard that phrase. George Washington was a loser, but you've heard it here from Brand- <laughs> that's a- Brandon Moore said that. I was merely <laughs> I was merely quoting. I'm gonna get some angry tweets and emails so now. It's like, how dare you? I was just trying to quote how the man. Dare you yeah. say that? No, 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 I mean, like, look at his history, man. And no, but, you're right but, about the military stuff for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. But yeah, the the thing that you know, I I don't want people to think I'm insulting the guy. I look mm-hmm. up to him more than more than most people I I have ever heard of. You know, yeah. Um, because he is he is the image of perseverance. And, and I feel yeah. like we've lost sight of that. You know, we, we live in a generation now where people are like, oh, I, I'm not very good at this. I'm, I'm putting it down. Well, why'd you pick it up in the first place? Mm-hmm. Remember why you picked it up. And don't think that, you know, just because you didn't win immediately 
that or, or weren't good immediately that you have to put it down like it's not made for you you know we, we the whole idea that you're you know you're you're meant for this or destined for this mm-hmm. you know like i don't buy it i think that if you want something and you want to go get it then go get it you're gonna fail and and keep in mind that you failing isn't you failing for good it's you failing because you're learning mm. And be okay with learning. Be okay with not knowing. Be okay with with looking stupid sometimes because you're going to if you truly believe in the thing that you're going after. And, and you know, Washington believed in the thing that he was going after. And, and, and even though he suffered these unbelievable, miserable uh, losses and moments where, you know, things were at the worst and the, the British army had him against a wall. And Embarrassments. He, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They were laughing at him. Mm-hmm. His own people were like questioning him. He he kept going. And you know what? Because he persevered and, and it should be on. We didn't win the war against the British army. We just outlasted them. Hmm. You know, we, we made it so that they could like the attitudes back home and all the money they were spending. It was too much. And, and Washington won because he persevered over the British Army. He defeated the world's greatest military force by saying, I'm not going anywhere. What are you going to do? So true. Yeah. Very good. So here we go. Okay. I looked him up. Okay. The Napster founder. Hit me. Sean Parker. Uh-huh. Does that name ring a bell? No. No. Okay. I just wanted to hear Metallica, man. That's back in the day. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. So he founded Napster, as you know. Yep. And let me just give you a, a quick thumbnail sketch of his life. Uh, he was born in 1979. Mm-hmm. He didn't go past high school as far as education. Mm-hmm. Mm, created Napster, as you know. Right. Today, he's worth $2.6 billion. Good for him. And he serves as a board member on Yammer and Spotify. Good for him. So look at that. You know what? I, I am. That makes me happy. Yeah. That really makes me happy. I, I, I love stories like that. Oh, me too. So. I especially love, you know, uh, stories about successful college dropouts because I am one and especially successful high school dropouts because I'm also one of those. So it's it's, uh, you know, you again, perseverance, man. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. That was Sean Parker. I got I got more for you. Uh Oh, he was just a co-founder of Napster. Uh huh. Sean Fanning. The Shans. Yeah, the Shans. I mean, we're educating, at least I'm educating myself. Right. You know, history lesson. Thank you, Wikipedia. Uh, Sean (laughs) Fanning is the uh, American computer program entrepreneur, angel investor. He developed Napster. Yeah. So is he the first one or? Everyone's going to listen to this and then we're like, you guys are so dumb. How do you not know this? (laughs) So anyway, so this guy, Sean Fanning, Oh, we're just learning on the fly. I didn't want to stop and just read everything for you. Yeah. Uh, oh, so he was the lead software engineer. He's only worth a mere $124 million. <laughs> What a loser. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> who, wants, who cares about this guy? And he dropped out of Northeastern University. He's yeah. from Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah. So um, I wonder what he does today. Like, because his Wikipedia he, he's, uh, is not long. You know what he does? Yeah, he, he counts he, his money. Exactly. That's That takes a lot of time. Right, right, right. They got $124 million. Uh, let's see. Oh, he's a, yeah, he just uh, he decided to invest in other companies. and. There's all sorts of people back. from like back in the day that are like Tom. You remember Tom from MySpace? Hold on a second. How's he doing? He's know? the one. He's Sean, I think, is the first one on that one. What's Tom's last name? I don't no it's idea. Just, it's just Tom. It's from just MySpace. Tom. Yeah. It's just MySpace. Yeah. Tom. Man. He's fifty now. Is he? Yeah. I just saw a thing recently. I didn't realize he was that much older yeah. than I am. Like yeah. he's. Or, I mean, like I'm. I'm surprised how young he is. Back in November, he turned fifty. 
good for him. You yeah. know what? I hope he's doing great. What do you think he's worth? I'm going to guess he sold MySpace for quite a chunk of change. Didn't, didn't he, he sell that to uh, Rupert Murdoch or somebody? I thought he sold it to Yahoo, didn't he? Am I wrong? I don't know. Let's find out what he's worth. Hang on. This is... Uh, this, this, I feel like we're like Facebook stalking. <laughs> what a loser. Has, what a 60 loser. million. Oh, he has $60 million? That's it? Come on. Oh, I can go to Sonic for a double. You know? <sighs> That's about right, too. Okay. Under the question, what cheers you up? You put Monty Python movies. Yeah. Is that, has that become kind of a generational thing or is that more uh, i'm so surprised mm-hmm. by so many people that don't get references and stuff now i'm not a monty python guy okay so right. please just understand that out of the gate but my goodness when you don't know you know the holy grail movie right and 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 can't quote that then i just i look at you i don't know i'm really suspicious I'm kind of like lilo you know like, <laughs> anyway. exactly right. i consider monty python especially monty python's holy grail and i'm i'll go back and i'll watch you know um you know their their tv show you know that's mm-hmm. or secret of light you know like these little things that that to me are required viewing for anybody with a sense of humor mm-hmm. because really monty python to me started a whole like a slew of of american comedy that today we still reference back on but have no idea that we are doing that tell me about that well like look at look at uh look at money python's holy grail Mm -hmm. you know you have these silly situations with these silly people you know nothing is taken seriously whatsoever they intersperse you know (laughs) like funny little like hey we're in the medieval times yeah but this is being told by a guy in (laughs) modern times oh but a medieval guy just killed this guy uh-huh. And at the very beginning, you know, they they meander off into like, oh, we're we're talking about what's going on. We're setting the scene with with uh, text, you know, explanatory text. But we're going to talk about moose like a lot. And we're going to fire the people who are talking about moose. But then those people are going to start like these. It's just silly stuff like this. Yeah. And then today you look and you look around and you're like, what are the greats today? South Park, Family Guy, mm-hmm. you know, The Simpsons, just these weird comedies. That, that honestly, you would not have them today if Monty Python had not been around then, you know? That's an interesting point. And so, to me, you know, if you really want to get on, like, the ground floor of the kind of comedy that we today use, go back and watch any Monty Python movie. Whether it be, you know, The Life of Brian or, you know, uh, you know The Circus. You know, like, just go watch it. Yeah. And, and tell me like, oh, I get it now. You know, I see where we came from. These are our roots. And I was looking up when you were talking there. You said these skits or these moments that just have nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. They were the first. And it occurred to me, I wonder when Saturday Night Live started compared to that. Anyway, both years, 1975. Um, April was Holy Grail. Right. SNL was in October of 75. What was the when did they start making stuff? Any idea? Monty Python? Yeah. I I think it was somewhere back in like the early 60s, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Because they were, I mean, they were a troop before they were like big and famous, obviously. Okay, because that was their first movie, but they were still doing stuff. Right, before so that, there was like Flying me, Circus. Yeah. Yes. You know, okay, and, so and, and they, they had that, gotcha. that skit show. Um, And then before that, they were, you know, just a comedy troupe that were, That's so that cool. got famous in Britain. See, yeah, uh, they, I think you're absolutely right. I think they are the... Yeah, easily you could argue they are the founders of modern for... comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. I've never thought of that. Thank yeah. you. Let's see here. Earliest memory. Okay, so <laughs> mm-hmm. I was four. I was four, and uh, I was at a daycare, and 
there was this kid who I had befriended. I, I can't remember his name now. I feel so bad. But uh, I was four, so maybe I should give myself a yeah, break. I mean, the fact that you remember the story itself yeah. is is impressive. But uh, I I can remember sitting in this you know class with this kid, and uh, it was dark outside because it was winter. My mother hadn't come picked us up yet. It was around like five or six, and uh, <laughs> this kid and I were just sitting here talking. And he talked. He was talking about this dream he was having, or he had had last night. And he said, a lion came in my dream and attacked me. And I said, is that lion going to come out of your head? <laughs> I was concerned that this lion was going to escape this kid's head yeah. and kill us. <laughs> because kids are stupid. Right. Well, sure. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I got news for you. We're all stupid to one degree yeah, or yeah. another. <laughs> you, you sometimes I wonder, like, if we actually did live to, like, let's say 5,000 years old, yeah. you know, and we looked back at ourselves like... <laughs> When I was 36. <laughs> when I was 212. Yeah. Man, I was just what a, an idiot. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you were frightened that this lion was going to well, yeah, come out. For someone, I don't know why I thought that. I'd never, you know, never witnessed that in my entire four years of existence. You know, given I was only conscious maybe for right. like, you know, a year of that. You know, like like actually like learning and remembering things uh -huh. like I should. How but I've always been super imaginative ever since I was a kid. So I would imagine these weird things happening. And, and like, you know, I, I was like convinced that they were going to happen. Uh -huh. you know? So so let's explore this. How how much were you in like a daycare setting or something like that? Because I spent a lot of my childhood at places like that. Oh, same. Same. Mm -hmm. I, I, I grew up. Yeah, in the care of people who clearly didn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't want you there either. Exactly. <laughs> I was a pain in the with the exception of a few teachers. Uh-huh. Like, you know, you, you could tell that they were just there for the paycheck. But every now and again, this one teacher would come along. And even as a kid, man, if they were even remotely young or good looking, I would have these huge crushes. And I and I swear, dude, the reason I had it was because it's like, oh, my God, you actually care about you me. You care. You care about me. Uh -huh. And I... I love you. Yeah. You know, I can remember, I can remember one day in daycare, we, there was this game. Remember war? How oh, like yeah. you had to lay down. Like I, I, uh, I gave this teacher, like I was one of the last kids to be picked up and it was just me and this teacher and mm. we were going to play, we we're going to play a game of war. Okay. And as a show of me, you know, my crush on you and stuff like that, oh, no. I gave her all the good cards so that she could win every time. Did she know you had set it up like that? Can she tell? Oh yeah. She, yeah. Knew. Okay. She knew. You know, oh. I mean, I straight up told her <laughs> oh, okay. because you know, I'm smooth like that. Did she appreciate it? Oh, she thought it was sweet. Aww. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's, that's right, cute. girl. <laughs> so, but you know, like it, it's, it's, it, it, I mean, it sucked. I, 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 I got beat up a lot, you know, cause I was a weird kid. I still kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm a little weird today. I mean, I wasn't going to say that. To your <laughs> face. No. So, okay. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I, I got picked on a lot and, yeah. and beat up. And, and so I spent a lot of my time in a, in situations where I just did not want to be there, you know? Yeah, like, I understand. I and there. so these, these teachers that really did care mm -hmm. were like, like beacons of light. And it was, it was really nice to have these teachers because they really kind of taught me like, you know, not everyone is a giant piece of crap. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, there are people out there who are genuinely good people. And so it's it's a good life lesson for a small kid to learn. Like, yeah, the world can be dark and nasty and lonely, but you know what? There are people out there who really care. Yeah. And, and you should find those people. Right. And there's there's been a very few handful in my own life mm -hmm. teachers uh, that I've um, really connected with over the years that I thought, man, I wonder what they ended up doing. I wonder, you know, what mm -hmm. they're doing now. The problem is when you try to Google them, <laughs> like I'm not going to put like uh, Mr. 
Yeah. Uh, Mrs. I don't remember. I don't. Yeah. I never <laughs> learned her first name. Yeah, Miss Nieto. Right. My right, my right. first grade teacher, Miss Nieto. Yeah. Don't ask me her first name. Yeah. Where's, I have no idea. Where's Miss Watley? And <laughs> if she got married, you know what I'm saying? Like it's what impossible happened? to track these people down. What happened to Miss Carbajal? Right. I don't know. Right. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, got no results on Google. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, who in your life has had the biggest impact on you? Would you say? Yeah, so that's a that's a two part question or a, a two answer question. Okay, let's say that. Um, so in terms of like who immediately had the most effect on me it would be my dad, because um, I'm a, I'm a child of divorce, mm-hmm. and my dad was this like mythical hero because you know I lived with my mom, and so my dad was this kind of like far off figure that I would idealize, you know, and and he. Every time I would go hang out with him, we would do all this fun stuff. You know, he would be, he, he'd teach me these things that, you know, uh, only a dad would really teach and so moms would do this. Still in the same town though. Yes. Right? Okay, so like we all lived in Austin at this point okay. in time and I would see him like every other weekend or so, okay. you know, and, and he just like, I would worship this guy and I would like, it, it, it was, it's both good and, and bad. Look, it's good for a kid. It's at that age to worship the dad, you know, like to, to look up to, for a boy, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I think that's pretty normal whenever you are in a situation of divorced parents and your parents have already remarried and all that stuff, it becomes, um, it it can be, it can be a little dangerous because now, you know, I'm blaming my stepdad because my dad's not around that kind of stuff. But in any case throughout my life, you know, I kind of maintained that even well into adulthood when I learned that, you know, my dad wasn't a superhero. He was just a drunk with a cape. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding. He's not a drunk. <laughs> but no, he's a, he's a great guy. He's 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 a police officer. He's a retired police officer uh-huh. now. Um, but you know, some of the greatest lessons I've ever learned were from him. You know, he would take me out to do things that, you know, were just. He would let me ride along in his car in his in his patrol unit, and I would see things that most people do not. They go their entire lives without seeing. Um, but I thought that now I'm glad I saw them because they're important lessons to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he would take me out flounder gigging in, in, you know, Galveston canals and, and to see, to be a part of that, like nature and to hunt and stuff like that. I feel like every kid needs to be a part of that in some way, shape or form. They need to learn it because he not only taught me how to hunt, he taught me conservation, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, how to respect your environment without being a wackadoo about it. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> That's a nuance that seems to be lost. Exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, he, he taught me a lot about faith, a lot about, you know, respect for women and mm-hmm. you know, all that good stuff. And, and you can, these are things that it, I feel like many people can really only learn from their dad, you know, and, and I'm glad that he was there to teach me that and that I had the ability to receive that that uh that those lessons because you know i feel bad for a lot of people who grow up and they hate their dad they hate their parents you know for one reason or another i don't know why but the fact that i i had this vision of my dad the entire time made me receptive to these lessons and i'm glad that i have them um now as for you know not immediate Uh uh-huh the person that I feel like had a huge impact on my life is probably C.S. Lewis. Yeah. And, and you mentioned your dad um, and faith there. Is he the one that introduced you to C.S. Lewis or somebody else? Uh, like, how did you discover C.S. Lewis? There? That would be my grandma. Okay. Uh, my grandma, who was a huge, you know, church on Sunday Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is, she was a dutiful housewife. You know, she, she was a traditionalist in almost every regard. Um, but she was a, a wonderful woman who wanted to keep me entertained as best as she could without me, 
without resorting to like, you know, horrible, uh, you know, lessons taught by mainstream media. So she would teach me or she would give me like these videotapes of like McGee and me. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of McGee and me, but it's like it was a Christian show for kids that had real life lessons being taught by this kid named Nick who lived going going through life with this kid named Nick who had a make believe friend named McGee that he would draw. And McGee huh. would come to life and like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was actually, it's actually, you know what? It holds up. Go, go check out McGee and me. It holds up today. All right, hang on. I, I did. Hang on. I'm going to go write this down next to my, um, for uh, sure. The Midnight Man and, and Lord <laughs> Huron. McGee and me? McGee and me. Okay. And, uh, but she also in that, in that same vein, you know, she wanted me to have a, like a cool movie to, for me to watch or whatever. So she bought the British recreation of Narnia. And I grew up watching Aslan, yeah. you know, and, and Peter and Susan mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and I just fell in love with the Chronicles of Narnia. I ended up, uh, reading them like as a kid, uh, because I just, you know, whether it be the magician's nephew all the way down to the last battle, you know, I loved Narnia, the entire thing. C.S. Lewis had such a way of writing that yeah. you could not get away from it once you started. I, uh... I agree completely. I yeah. mean, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, that I enjoyed so much that when the theatrical production of that came to my town, to mm-hmm. the Cobb Civic Center, if you'll recall, yeah, yeah right. Um, I my mom made sure that we went. I wasn't into theater or anything like that, you know. Right. I'm not. I'm not Mr. Broadway here, but boy, I had to go see that. So I, I, you're absolutely right. Yeah. On how that yeah. makes an impact. But, well, yeah, yeah, that started me off as a kid. And then as an adult, I started realizing that C.S. Lewis was much more. Because he he definitely, look, the Narnia books were an allegory for a lot of different things, in, in, in especially Christ. You know, Aslan obviously being an allegory for Christ. But n- then I started learning, like, he was a professor who wrote prolifically. You, you read his other stuff, you know, you re- read Mere Christianity, you read The Great Divorce. You read uh, screw tape letters, mm-hmm. you know, the problem with pain, um, all of these books that just give you an insight into human nature and like how people think and feel about certain things and about how it all relates to God. Uh, you know, he looks at because he's a former atheist. Mm-hmm. He, he's a former atheist. He started off as like this anti God. You know, I don't read the Bible <laughs> kind of guy. <laughs> and then he ended up getting into it. And next thing you know, he's. He, since he looked at everything from a worldly perspective first, he was able to tie in God and like make it make sense to us who look at, you know, who aren't taught what he was taught, who aren't taught, you know, and not everyone learns Christianity. Right. Because they're so busy with the world. They, they look at everything. They think they're looking at it rationally or logically. And he's like, no, if you really want to look at it rationally and logically, check this out. Here's how God ties into this. This thing that you thought was so not had nothing to do with God has everything to do with God. Check it out. And it's, and it's amazing to me to actually sit there and read it because it's like, oh my God, how did I see that before? He reverse engineered faith yes. for himself and it was able to help so many others right. see it from a different perspective as opposed to growing up in the faith and trying to maintain it. We're never, he went the other way. We're never taught as Christians to look at faith logically. 
you know, we're just, we're, we're taught faith as like a yeah. mystical force That's and like, you know, well, you know, and it's that old parent, you know, saying of, well, do it because I told you to, mm-hmm. you know, they, they look at the way that God's saying that do that because I told you to, but they never stopped to go. Why did he say this? What, what was the logic behind it? Mm-hmm. You know, what was the context? Is there some sort of reasoning that would make my life better? And if you really start to look into it as Lewis did, you'll start to find out that God had a method to every bit of his madness. Here's a not so fun fact, but something that comes to mind whenever I think of C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. He didn't get the fanfare, at least from what I've read. Obviously, neither of us were alive when he passed away, but he died the same day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And so he left this earth almost, you know, mm-hmm. that was just so second tier people didn't really notice it yeah from what i've read yeah um, because it was overshadowed by the assassination of jfk but his life such an impact that continues to this day like you said with his very um i i I almost i'm trying to think of the best word i almost want to say logical writings Mm -hmm. because and they are i mean he, he he looked at everything from a perspective of how does this make sense in the real world? You know, he took it on like Pascal took on science. Oh, nice. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's and good. There's, there's a reason that this is like, this is happening and I'm going to use science to prove what God did. That's cool. Yeah. So C.S. Lewis, great writer. Mm-hmm. You, one of the goals you have in your lifetime is to write a book. Yes. What kind of book are you talking about? Not a political one, but no. I feel like that's what it's going to be. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. So you don't have an idea? You don't have like the great American novel? Oh, no, no, no. Head? I have an idea. I, I write a lot. Uh, and for the longest time before I started writing politically, I would write uh, fantasy. I would write fantasy a lot. Um, and I have created three different worlds uh, that I, I still, even now, just go and revisit from time to time in my head if I'm daydreaming, you know? Um, there's uh inspired by Narnia. I created my own world called uh, uh, Teratia. And you sure you want to let this out right now? If you don't have anything <laughs> on paper yet. Oh, I've, I've, I've been talking about this nonstop for years, but you know, Teratia has, uh, you know, it, it also has the allegories and stuff. It has giant wolves and you know, that are they're semi-intelligent, okay. um, big adventures and ships, just like, uh, you know, the voyage of the Dawn Treader, which was my favorite Narnia book. Um, you know, it it utilizes not just Christian, like, uh, Christian themes, but I use a lot, just like Lewis did of, of Greek and Roman themes, you know, like I, I reference like angels, which I call hands in there so that it doesn't sound like, you know, angels, Mm -hmm. but you know, angel of the sea, angel of lightning, angel of this and that, you know, angel of the forest, you know, these things that, that kind of put this big giant world into perspective and like there's wars and intrigue and all this stuff. And I've written this, I've been writing this for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And I've never really started to write chapters with the exception of maybe four uh, of the very first book of a series of books. And um, you know, it's supposed to cover from, you know, near the beginning of time to the end, you know, and, and, so it sounds like you have quite a bit written down. Oh, yeah. No, I character names, what they do, how they interact. So and, how much work would it take to really get this thing accomplished? Probably five years of me just sitting down and writing nonstop. But I write a book every year mm. in terms of how much I write on the political site, Red State. You know, uh-huh. and, 
so a lot of my time is is caught up around writing politics and and culture and stuff like that and you know i i write pretty prolifically myself you Mm -hmm. know i four or five articles to six seven articles might appear on red state in one day for me oh yeah oh but i feel now i feel guilty keeping you here no no it's all right no dude (laughs) there's one thing i do is i take a break when i can get it that's good that's Um, good okay but yeah it's it's uh you know if I could, honestly, if I had the means to do it, if I had the money to do it, I would probably quit Red State for a while and and go and I would just seclude myself and just write these books. And it, I wouldn't stop with Teresia. I've got another one that, you know, where animals talk to people and that gets a secret thing and they're having to stop with that another. Uh, uh, I don't know. And then there's another one of that takes place from the Wild West all the way into the future. Wow. Uh, that concerns a guy who can't die. You know, oh. and, and like I, I've written I thought, all these worlds. I <laughs> thought for a second there, I thought you were describing Back to the Future. No, because you know that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Hold on, now, so Marty. We we just we just went through a list of really rich guys that you should yeah. reach out to if you want to. You know, <laughs> well, you know what? If anybody rich off. hears this and that's they want right. to fund my book, that's then right. uh, yeah, that's, go ahead and let's do it. The Brandon Morse. On Twitter, reach that's, out to him. That's right. Are your DMs open? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, they're cool. wide. In fact, I've uh, <laughs> I, I get a hard lesson about my open DMs every now and again because uh, you know they'll I get a lot of nasty text messages from yeah. people who are very angry about the things that I say. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Oh it's yeah, fun. So, do you have a timetable on when you want to get on these? Uh, you know, really making this official, uh, or is it just? Uh, I'm talking about the books. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, because you're you're 36, right? Right. And we talked off the air briefly. I said, ah, oh, just wait till you hit 40. Wait till you hit 40. Because then, then, then you're going to find, you know, uh, sports is uh, much more difficult. It's like, seriously, somebody, I can't remember who, told me, boy, when you hit 40. Yeah. And I was thinking, yeah, whatever, I'm going to push it. You know, no. No, when you hit 40, sports becomes more difficult. Yard work becomes more difficult. Mm-hmm. Hell, walking to the mailbox becomes more difficult. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, I just, I, I, I almost feel like, I'm only eight years older than you, but I almost feel like I'm going to, I'm going to be grandpa for just a second here. Go ahead. Brandon, it's easier said than done, but these dreams of like writing a book or something like that get to them sooner rather than later Mm -hmm. because I had a screenplay over 20 years ago that I would carry around with me and I would a little bit here, a little bit there. I don't know. I think I gave up and threw it away at some point. You know, it's it's almost like I feel, and maybe this is just me, I feel like if you don't strike while your brain is on fire with these ideas, yeah, you might lose them. Well, my brain has been on fire with these ideas since I was 17. Yeah. And and the thing that, you know, because I used to think that I wanted to, like the very first book I ever wrote, I shouldn't say book, but the very first story I ever wrote mm-hmm. was about my dog and from his perspective. I don't know if you ever heard of Hank the Cow Dog. Yeah, 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 okay. So that was like my first favorite series of all time when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um, I would read Hank the cow dog all the time in class at home. And I decided I wanted to write my own Hank the cow dog. So I used my lucky, uh, my, my lucky, my dog lucky at the time. And he was a chow. Uh So I called him lucky the chow dog because you know, I'm creative like that. (laughs) And I would just write this adventure that he would have, you know, about like going to my grandparents' house and, you know, finding his way across the country. Cause I also loved homeward bound, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Just this weird stuff that I would write. But the thing about the books that I'm writing right now is I'm glad that I wasn't able to compile these books when I was younger, because Mm -hmm. now looking back, I'm like, man, I didn't know anything about the world. 
And the older I get, the wiser I get, the more on fire for these books I become because I want to impart the lessons that I learned, you know, to whichever age group I'm writing to, you know, like the one where the animals talk to people like that's that's one that I want to write for kids, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, the one about. Teratia, that's an all ages kind of Harry Potter on to adulthood, you know, age book. And then like the one where the guy, he, he can't die, you know, he, you know, that one is for adults, you know, who, no matter who I'm talking to, I want to be able to say something and I can't say anything if I don't know anything. So the, the wisdom that I have acquired, and I'm not saying that I'm a wise person or that mm-hmm. I'm super intelligent. That's not yeah. what I'm saying at all. But you know, the, the, the knowledge that I've acquired acquired over the time that I have lived, I feel like has been invaluable to these stories. And I think that there will come a point where I, where I will just be able to like, I have to get this down and yeah. I will not be able to stop myself. And I will end up writing all these books. Do you think your art background might come in handy at some point, especially with the kids books or? Um, no, uh, I, I'm not. I used to be relatively decent at drawing, but I haven't drawn in years. And all of my art goes now into creating videos and, and horrible photoshops. Okay. Uh, oh, they're horrible. I, I, but I use that as a feature, not a bug. Yeah, uh-huh. it's like one of my favorite videos that I ever created was uh, how you will never, uh, or how why socialism will never work. That, it's, that's not the name of it. The actual name of it is how one horny guy collapsed socialism. Um, <laughs> but I used horrible photoshopping to tell this like animated story. <laughs> where can people find this? It's on it's on my YouTube channel. Okay, so um, where, what is your YouTube channel? Let's get that out there. Yeah, it's it's just uh, Brandon D. Morse out there. Uh, but I don't really create for that. And now I create for Town Hall. All my videos for Town Hall, and you know my my videos they they cross the spectrum. You know, sometimes I'm funny, sometimes I'm serious. You know, uh-huh. sometimes I do bad photoshops. And that's life. Yeah, you know, you know. So where are all the places people can find you? I know at the Brandon Morse. On Twitter and right. Parlor, where can they check out your political writings? You said the YouTube channel is Brandon D. Morse. Right, right. Uh, but a lot of my political videos now appear on Town Halls. Town Hall. Town Halls uh, YouTube channel. Um, and, and I have my own little list you can go okay. through and, and check So the best thing to do would be to go to youtube.com slash town hall. Correct. Okay. Uh, you know, obviously I, I, I write at Red State. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can find all of my writing there. I write more or less daily. Um, I think you should change your name to the prolific Brandon Morse. The prolific Brandon because Morse. you're everywhere, man. Right? <laughs> um, or the ubiquitous. The, yeah, there you Brandon go. Ubiquitous. There I, that was a good yes. word. Okay, so you mix that in there. I well, will. Well, I mean, did you ever listen to any traffic reports in Atlanta back in the day on uh, AM six forty WGST? Keith no, Calland? I, did, I didn't want to be depressed about. I, it. I hear you. I hear you. I was a nerd, man. I've been listening to talk radio since I was probably twelve. Yeah, see, I know. Right? Yeah, yeah you, I you've been it. listening way longer than yeah, I have. I'm a nerd. So, but there was a traffic reporter, Keith yeah. Calland. Mm-hmm. Uh, God rest his soul. Great guy. In fact, I worked with him briefly at WGST there in Atlanta. But uh, every traffic report, um, there would always be a ladder on I-75 or I-285 or I-85 there in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And and whenever the, he would see that during his traffic report, he goes, oh, today's ubiquitous ladder in the roadway uh, on <laughs> I-285 near Paces Ferry in the right lane, so be watching for that. So ubiquitous has been one of my favorite words for the last 30 years it's now. It's such a good, like it really rolls off the tongue too. Yes. Ubiquitous. Yes, and I think that that's you. Oh, thank you. Because you're everywhere. Um, and I'm, you are the ubiquitous Brandon Morse. I'm also at, and this is what I'm really most into right now. This is my favorite thing is I'm, I'm at Twitch. I have a Twitch channel. Oh yeah. See, I told you you were ubiquitous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how do they find you on Twitch? Twitch.tv slash the Morse code. 
All oh. one word. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a good one. All that's, one word. Um, there's so many fun things you can do with that name too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've I've been abusing the hell out of it for years. <laughs> um, because I actually am related to that guy. I'm, I'm a dis- direct Samuel descendant Morse? of Samuel F. B. Morse. Yep, <laughs> direct descendant of this guy. That is so that is great. not a lie. Um, <laughs> yep. Sorry, I don't, I don't I don't I don't know Morse code, so I have I no idea. You could have just told, him, told I, me I'm like a giant I, slut. I don't. I, 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 <laughs> Oh my gosh, you do know it. <laughs> anyway, uh, anything we uh, need to cover here that we haven't gotten to yet? I like your beard. That's my, nice. My, wow, it's coming in nice. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uncomfortable. But thank you. <laughs> no, it's not as full as yours. All right. It's not as full as yours, dude. Don't don't get don't get don't make this weird, man. No, no, no. It's One just man compliment another man's beard ain't weird. Yeah, but the thing is, recently. And see, I'm going to date this podcast. Recently, Uh-oh. I had the most full beard that I've ever had. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not not as good as yours is oh. right now. Okay. So I shaved it off for the election. Right. Because I knew the election back in November was going to be dragged out. Yeah. This is before oh, anything yeah. happened. You just knew yep. Yep. America, especially in 2020, wasn't just going to have a cut and dry election. All right. Good night, everybody. It's election night. Here's our winner. See you tomorrow. So I said, I shaved on election day, and I didn't really announce this at the time, but I shaved on election day, and I said, I'm not going to shave again until we get this thing solved. Right. Okay? And so, depending on when this podcast drops, I may or may not have facial hair. You know what? I could be uh, a lost member of the band ZZ Top by the time this thing drops, uh, considering how the election plays out. I would love to see that. You just walk in. It's up, Brandon. It's like, who the hell? Oh, what's up, Keith? Oh, so we still don't have a certified winner of the election, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I can tell by the fact that your beard is dragging on the floor. (laughs) Anyhow. All right. Brandon Morris. Check him out. He's all over the place. He's ubiquitous. I am. I am. Yeah, I'm ubiquitous, apparently. We, like we appreciate you. Thank you so much for making time today on At The Mic, buddy. Thank you for having me. This was a this was a blast. Yes, sir. <laughs> that was a fun conversation. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Brandon as much as I did. And by the way, we recorded this episode way back in early November, and I decided to keep that election beard for now. We'll see how long it lasts. I kind of grew attached to it, so we'll see. Uh, if you need a convenient place on the web for all things At The Mic, I hope you'll head over to atthemikeshow.com. Atthemikeshow.com. You'll find archived episodes, links to all the platforms you can hear the show through, along with social media links so you can see who's coming up on the podcast. If you feel so moved and would like to support the podcast, it's completely independent. Uh, there is a buy me a cup of coffee link that you may be interested in. No pressure. Any support is appreciated. Speaking of support... Our first ever sponsor, American Pride Roasters Coffee, would appreciate your business. Great people there. You can find that 10% off promo code. It's listed on atthemikeshow.com. In case you forget it, the offer code is ATM. Get you 10% off when you get ready to check out at aprcoffee.com. Hey, thanks so much for checking out episode 36 of At The Mike as we begin season number two. I really hope my voice improves to 100% real soon. And I am so grateful for your patience. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to At The Mic. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mic Show on Twitter to connect.